Hi, and welcome to another great life impacting message from Bridge Evangelical Christian Church. For more great content and to learn more about our church, visit becc.church. Enjoy. Heavenly Father, you are good. And as we have already heard in prayers and in song this morning, you are in control. And we love that you weave everything and everyone together to meet your plans. Lord, we ask that you would use us. And through this message, uh, you would use the words that I speak um, to speak into these people's hearts. But Lord, that I would not get in your way, that you would, that I would not be a distraction. Get me out of the way, Lord, and uh, may we hear from you. May you speak to me. Spirit, please move in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to open your Bibles, if you haven't already got them open, to chapter 16 of Acts. And we're going to be following through 16 as we go. Now, we are all on a journey, every single one of us. And that journey that we're on is called life. And this journey of life presents us with a range of different circumstances. Now, some are good, like the birth of a child. And then there are those that are just sort of neutral, like the necessary day-to-day activities, shopping, school, those sorts of things. But then there are those that are really bad, like the loss of a loved one or broken relationships. Life goes up and down. And as believers, this journey is one that holds important meaning because we have a mission. And as a result, our lives are meant to serve the greatest purpose on earth. And the mission is simple. It's found in the same book we're in today, and it's found in Acts 1, verse 8. So if you can, quickly, just flick over to chapter 1, and we'll read verse 8 together. 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we are to glorify God by spreading his good news. We are God's witnesses. Yet amidst all of the circumstances that we face throughout life, it is easy to forget or to become disillusioned with our mission and our purpose. It's easy to forget that we are something planned by God which is so much bigger than us or just what we can see. Thus when things aren't all rosy, things aren't going as planned, they're hard or they're frustrating, we can end up thinking first of ourselves. I know that this happens to me all the time. Uh, I get to a difficult spot and I end up asking God, you know, why am I in this situation? Why have, why have you brought this difficulty upon me? Or why is it happening to me? And God can handle our questioning. You know, he even wants us to come to him with our problems. But perhaps a better question to have been asking would have been, God, although this situation stinks, how are you going to use it? Because this is the thing. God does not waste any of it. 
He is a zero-waste God. He takes every situation we face and he uses it to spread his good news. He uses the good times in our lives and he does not waste the bad ones. I can testify to this myself because it's been true in my own life. God took the greatest tragedy that I've ever faced and he turned it into the best thing that has ever happened to me. When I was 13 years old, unexpectedly, my mum, and I'm, I was one of four kids, my mum died of a heart attack. She was only 42 years old, single parent. Yet, despite the pain that it has uh that it brought to my family, that it brought to me, it has enabled me to have understanding and connection with those who are grieving. It has healed other parts of my family, brought us closer together, particularly with my relationship with my dad. And even more so, it has enabled me to share uh, how it is only due to my relationship with Jesus that I have lasting hope and comfort in this life and for the future. At no point does God abandon us or waste the circumstances that we face. He is still good and in control, even when our lives look to be in chaos. And the reality of this can be seen throughout our text, the reality that God is in control. But it stands out for us particularly in verses 6 to 10. So please, uh, if you've got your Bibles, 6 to 10 uh, in chapter 16, let's just read that. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come into Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, Immediately we sought to go up on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here Paul, Timothy and Silas moved from Phrygia and Galatia over to Macedonia, where they seemed to meet up with the author Luke, which is indicated by the we in verse 10. And what I love about this introduction is that we see all three parts of God. The first is the Holy Spirit, who forbids them to speak in Asia. And then it is the Spirit of Jesus, who does not allow them into Bithynia. And now we know that the Spirit of Jesus is the Holy Spirit, but Jesus' naming brings our attention to his active presence in this part of the story. And then finally, they conclude that it was God through the Holy Spirit, who was directing them to Macedonia. So the whole Trinity was active in this story. Active in their journey, as he is active in our journey daily. It also seems clear that these guys knew it was God who was guiding their way from the outset. It was God who was guiding them to Macedonia. Verse 10 says that when they heard it, they sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They knew it was God. And this shows us that it was God, leading them for a purpose as well. 
which was to witness in the place that he had put them. And we share this same purpose. Witnessing in the context which God has placed us. When we pay attention to God and we recognize his activity in our lives, our journey is that much more exciting and fulfilling knowing that he is in control. He is in control. So on arriving in Macedonia, Paul and company follow the same method that they've done over the last couple of chapters, whereby they enter a new town and first they, uh, they seek out a Jewish community, a place where they might be welcomed at least um, at first, initially. However, in this town, Philippi, it didn't have a synagogue. So they headed to a common place of meeting for prayer for Jews, which was the riverside. And here it is that they bump into Lydia, a rich, God-fearing, and Gentile woman who seems to be the head of her house, sort of pointing out that there's not a man around her. Read verses 14 to 15 with me. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So she already believed in the God of the Jews. And it was our God that opened her heart to hear and accept the message that Paul and his company were sharing. It was God who was at work. So much so that her whole household, family, and likely her servants too, came to faith and they all got baptized. This is awesome. This is really cool. Paul and the others then even stay with her as she is now their sister in the faith, despite the fact that it might have been culturally odd for men to be guests at the house of a woman whom the text hints at is probably widowed. Now this is a good situation. God has led Paul, Silas, Timothy and Luke into Philippi and the first time they share the good news, a household turns to Christ. That's really cool. That is good news. And what encourages me here, though, is that as they went in, all they did was they just did what they were told. They went where they were told and it was God who did the heart-changing work. So we go, yep, God was definitely in charge there. We like that. Lydia's household even becomes the meeting place for other believers later on in verse 40. So God in control used this situation, this good situation, to bring people uh, to himself through the witness of his servants. He did not waste this good part of their journey. In the next part of their journey, Paul and Silas travelling to the place of prayer, which they initially met Lydia at, over many days, they start getting followed regularly by this demon-possessed girl. And now this girl is a slave and was able to tell fortunes. And her owners used her to, uh, to tell fortunes as a way of earning money. But what she was doing frustrates Paul. Which I don't know about you, but it confused me at first because it seems like she was doing them a favor. As she was following them, she was calling out, these men are sent by God. They 
have the true message. I mean, it seems like she is telling the truth. She's pronouncing who they are, what they have, salvation. However, Paul's frustration comes not from the fact that he doesn't, uh, that he does not want his party or the gospel message that they carry to be associated with her trade or to be likened to other pagan gods. So he rebukes the demon with authority, and Jesus liberates her from the oppression of the demon and by being used for personal gain by her owners. So it is God, through the name of Jesus, to cast out the demon who again uses his people. So God is glorified. The power of his message is testified to, and it's testified to by the expulsion of this demon for the use of who was used for the worship of pagan gods. In this circumstance, God does not waste even a frustrating encounter. But, but, here our story takes a bit of a nasty turn. The girl's owners, in verse 19, seeing that they've lost their form of income from this now spiritually free and liberated girl, they have Paul and Silas dragged before the magistrates and they falsely accuse them and they stir the crowds up against them. The magistrates hearing and seeing all of this, they have the pair stripped of their clothing and beaten with rods. Stripped and beaten before a crowd. Does this remind you of anyone? Jesus, falsely accused, stripped, whipped, and placed in a tomb. This was a bad situation. And then they're thrown into prison, and the guard locks them up in the most secure dungeon. He's under orders by the magistrates specifically to keep them secure. Verse 24 tells us about that. It says, having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. They've been stripped, they've been humiliated, and now they're in the inner prison fastened to the stocks. I get to this point and I'm like, man, what is going to happen next? So you read the next verse, 25. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. What? Are you joking? They've been stripped. They've been humiliated. They've been beaten with rods, shackled to a wall in a dungeon. And they're singing. I can't imagine myself in that situation, leaning over to my friend and saying, hey, mate, do you want to sing a song? No, it just, it wouldn't happen. I'd probably cry. But just as Jesus... For the joy set before him was able to endure the cross. So too could they endure and rejoice in such dire circumstances. They knew that God was in control and the wonderful eternity that awaited them. There is such joy in knowing Jesus. It's an unconquerable joy. We have the victory. Nothing can defeat us. Our life goes on into eternity because our King has won the day forever. There's a great 
and relevant quote about joy and how it is so much more than just happiness. It's by Jay Boyce. It goes like this. Happiness is circumstantial, but not joy. Joy is an inner quality of delight in God or gladness, and it is meant to spring up within the Christian in a way totally unrelated to the adversities or circumstantial blessings of this life. What a life we have in Christ. Happiness is based on circumstances, but joy, which can never be taken away from us, is based on our delight in God. So then Paul and Silas, simply enjoying their time together in prison, suddenly experience an earthquake. The whole ground shakes. And the whole place is shaken so that all the doors and shackles are released. The doors are flung open. And the jailer who was told to keep them securely, he wakes up. And thinking that everyone has escaped, in the Roman tradition, he goes to kill himself. I mean, but I don't think he was meant to be asleep, certainly. He's meant to be guarding these guys. But by doing this, by killing himself, he would have been preserving not only his own honour, but his family's honour, and potentially for himself escaping some sort of worse punishment than death. But Paul knows this, and he shouts out to him, literally saving his life. And the jailer, who's both a Roman and a pagan, someone generally associated by Israel as an enemy of God, has heard them praying and singing through the night. Their inner delight in God, their joy despite the circumstances, along with God's power, had witnessed this man. So he comes into their cell, and on his knees, he asks for salvation. Verse 31, or 30 to 31 rather. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you and your household will be saved. Believe in Jesus. This is the core of our message. The good news. Believe and you too will be his witness. Know such joy and not have any part of your life go to waste. God worked through Paul and Silas when all they did was talk about Jesus, trust and rejoice in God. They were stripped, beaten and imprisoned. And not even such bad situation as this could stop God, who is bigger than any human evil. The jailer and his whole household become believers and they too rejoiced. Even in such bad places, God comes through. Every difficulty we face now, God makes count for eternity. We may not often see him work as dramatically as he did, through Paul and Silas's imprisonment, in like what we've seen in the text, but he always works the bad from this world together for the good of his people. God didn't waste this situation, but he used it to glorify himself through the spreading of his good news and faith placed in his son. This even fulfills the role that Paul and Silas had in service to him. God had used their hardship to achieve the goal that they desired to reach, which was leading more to Christ. 
Lydia of Thyatira even came from Asia, where they had first desired to go, and the Holy Spirit had stopped them. And God does this with us too, because he is a God of zero waste. And finally, God vindicates Paul and Silas. The magistrates, after the punishment of Paul and Silas, send for their release. They say, let these men go. But at hearing the quiet way in which the magistrates wish to have them sent out, Paul says, no, excuse me? We are uncondemned, unjustly punished. Oh, oh and by the way, we're Roman citizens. This was terrible news for the, um, for the magistrates because they had good, prestigious positions. Two magistrates jointly ruled Philippi. They were highly esteemed positions. This was a, a leading Roman colony, uh, making them, yeah, making them highly sought after spots. And not only this, but as Roman citizens, Paul and Silas had exemption from public punishment if they did not get a fair trial. Romans were entitled to formal hearings. The magistrates could lose their positions, or even put, be put on trial themselves for abusing Roman rights as a result. So it is no wonder that they were in fear, as the text tells us, at hearing Paul's words. The magistrates are so afraid that they did exactly what Paul, their prisoner, demands, and humbly so. So they come down to him and they release him themselves. Paul and Silas have their enemies humbled before them. And there comes a day when regardless of what we've gone through or what we have faced, God will bring fair justice to this earth and final judgment to humanity. Where we, his people, will go on to enjoy his presence forever in glory, continuing to serve him. Now some of you may have been wondering, but didn't God himself lead them into this terrible situation? And, well, the answer is yes, he did lead them into Philippi, where these things happened. He did. However, it was not God who caused the evil that they faced in being beaten and imprisoned. Rather, God, knowing what would happen, worked events in such a way that his people would not face any circumstance in vain. He had created a new group of witnesses for the kingdom in Philippi to reach the very people who were causing the evil. He used everything that his people ran into to bring more people into his kingdom. God turns evil to good. Our God wastes nothing that we face. He is good and he is trustworthy. He takes our hardship and he turns it into blessings. Romans 8.28 is, you know, a famous verse, and it says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. If we're believers, we are called according to his purpose. We are called to a life of witness, a missional life. It doesn't matter whether we are in school, a stay-at-home parent in the workforce, or whether we're retired. It doesn't matter what we do, where we are, or who we are. 
we are called to serve obediently. As such, he's going to use what we go through day to day to bring many others to himself and free the oppressed. He works through family celebrations, the personal achievements and the milestones in life. But he also works through things like car accidents, personal failures, our losses, As Joe and I prepare to go on mission to Peru, we hope that we don't end up getting beaten, stripped, or thrown in prison. Um, that wouldn't be much fun. However, we are comforted by the knowledge that if something like that were to happen, God would make it worth it. He's a long-term planner. And we, the church, you and I, are on his side. The side that has already won the victory over sin, Satan, and death. You and I can be confident throughout life as we serve God in our various contexts, whatever they are, trusting his awesome plan of witnessing to all kinds of people. Confident because in this text we see a God who is in control. A God who works through every circumstance for his name's sake and our good. A name worthy to be praised, Christ. A name that we all Someone recently asked me in regards to missions, who can do this? You know, who can be a missionary? And my answer was, anyone can be a missionary. However, we're not all called to be missionaries. But we are all called to be missionaries. And by that I mean that we are all called to present the good news of Jesus to those around us through our words and our actions so that they too might come to challenge for us today is to be missional in every context, whether good or bad, because with Jesus, nothing in our life is wasted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are sovereign. You are in control. You are our God. And Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have done by bringing us into your family, that we may call you Lord, that we may know that nothing is wasted, that you will use everything for your glory, and that all we go through is not in vain. Lord, we pray now for those who are facing difficulty in their lives, that you would comfort them in whatever that situation is, Lord Jesus, comfort them uh, with the knowledge that you are going to use that somehow. Jesus, we thank you for your work. Spirit, we thank you for the comforting work you do in our lives. And we glorify you, God. May our lives glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.